a Beasley Media Group station. We are 610 ESPN. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, I'll tell you what, for not having sports for a long time and it coming back, it hasn't been a quiet time, that's for sure. That is for sure. There's Uh, a lot there's a lot of stuff going on. Did you go downstairs in your jammies yesterday and watch the union play? Your Michigan like head to toe onesie that you probably have in my jammies? I don't (laughs) uh, No. I know you've got like a a Michigan onesie that you wear, right? Yeah, for there they don't make a Michigan onesie for somebody (laughs) that's six four. (laughs) Why not? They make a seven foot Tyvek suit for Joel Embiid. I'm sure you could get this done, Jeff. Well, you know, maybe maybe I should get a Tyvek suit then. I mean, I, I don't really have an answer to that. All I mean, there there are no words to express what Joel Embiid showed up in. Right? <laughs> Tell me though, I know that uh, we're gonna have uh, Union coach Jim Curtin on in a few minutes. Uh, I know you were watching the soccer games. We were texting with each other. Uh, your initial thoughts, and then uh, I want the revelation that you came to that shocked me yesterday watching the game. All right. So for, first, you want to know, you, you were talking about text. I'll just tell you, I received a text that that built my hopes up. OK, but, but with regard to soccer, if that's what you're talking about, I think what you're talking about is is the piping in of noise. Yeah, right? You're a convert now. You want fake crowd noise. Yeah. I mean, I, look, I've been on these airwaves saying that it seems ridiculous. And and I have you've to been everywhere. You, somebody would listen saying it seems ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that's pretty much me right now. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I admit I was wrong because I watched the NWSL, which is the Women's Soccer League, and they piped it in. But they didn't pipe it in in a way that I had envisioned it, which was different sounds for different things going on. It was kind of the background noise, the, the thing that you're used to at a ballpark, you know, without the somebody yelling peanuts, hot dogs, you know, Cracker Jacks. It was kind of that. And that, to me, lent something to it that made it seem more natural, even though what was happening was artificial. Like, to me, what I'm bothered by especially with the coverage of this the soccer is it seems so unnatural it seems like little league it seems like kid stuff because what you're seeing i wonder what it's like for them there yeah and by the way there's a whole different perspective for basketball because i don't think anybody has figured out that when they play these games where they're playing them the backdrops behind the baskets is going to make it hard for the basketball players to shoot at first I don't think people realize that it happened at the battle for Atlantis, but with the soccer, to me, it just looks odd to have no sound. I know what you're going to say, but it says it's no sound and you can see beyond the field to all the backfields, which makes it seem like my kid's soccer games when he was low. What I'd like them to do, because they are doing this in Orlando, which is the home of the Magic Kingdom and Disney and Pixar, is make themselves the backdrop of a stadium so that you don't see all of that kitty stuff, basically. Look at you. You've been waiting months for sports. You get your sports and you come on and you complain about the way you got your sports. You're me no, now. I suggested, You're turning into me, Jeff. I suggested a way to make it better. I, I'm i um, very happy that it's back. I can't wait to have Coach Curtin on 
just to ask him a question about a game. Yes, it is definitely very exciting to be able to talk a game. Um, you know th- that I I have wanted to hear the, the sound of the players talking trash to each other and talking to each other. So I enjoy the fact that MLS has six mics on the pitch and they have mics all around the outside to catch everything. So you can hear Coach Curtin yelling at, at Martinez, don't foul, don't foul. And then when he fouls, there's a lot of yelling because they weren't satisfied that he fouled. I enjoyed that. Though I think that I can agree with you that if it's not done like a laugh track where you get silence and then something or like a dull thing and then like a roar that doesn't match, if it's just like background noise type thing, I I could go for that. But I was shocked at your quick turnaround. I really didn't think that you'd come around on this. I was shocked by my quick turnaround. Uh, I had no idea that I would because it was literally at the beginning of the game that I was watching. I was going, I don't like this. And by the middle of the game, I realized that it's it's actually adding to it. It's making it seem more normal in a situation that is not normal. And and that's what I want. I want my sports to be like they were. And Uh, nothing about anything that we're about to do is going to be like it is. The closest thing, if it actually happens, all fingers and toes crossed, is baseball because they're going to play it in the stadiums that they actually play in. It seemed like the Red Sox were. It seemed like the Red Sox were actually testing out what sound would be like in the stadium today. And you know, you've seen. I can make a really snarky comment. You, you definitely, you can make lots of comments. But you've seen um, from some of the simulation games with the Phillies. You know, some of the talk of some of the players during it. And, and like, those are the things that I want to hear. They have personalities. I just think that these sports would benefit from highlighting the personalities of the athletes that participated in them. Yes, it's a skill set that they have. They're beyond talented. But they're amazing people, too. You look at some of these union players. They are – this this team is is one of the most conscious teams that we have in the area. They, they are constantly involved in the community and social conversations. They are why, clearly why don't we talk, Why don't we talk to the guy who's leading it? Uh, why don't you bring him on, Jeff? Go for it. So I believe right now we have Coach Curtin from the bubble in Disney. Coach, how you doing? Good, guys. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Uh, we're doing fantastic. So I have to ask you, I've been so excited all week to ask about, tell me about yesterday's game. We have not been able to talk to anybody about the game, and we want to find out from you. What was it like to actually get back to sports? Well, it's been uh, it's been a long four months. Uh, I think uh, I think one thing we've all learned uh, over that time is you have to be uh, you know willing to adjust and adapt, and, and to be ready for uh, some new experiences. Obviously, we've had that here in uh, in Florida in the bubble. Um, our players have all been been safe and, and tested. Uh, uh, all clear for, uh, on all the testing that they've had. So, you know, we, we had our first performance after a long layoff. And as a coach, you're always nervous and see how uh, how we'll look. Uh, and obviously, we played one of the best teams in our league in New York City FC. And our, our boys made the city proud, I thought, uh, both on and off the field. So I was really happy with the performance that we put in, all things considered. A, a 9 a.m. kickoff, probably about 100, I think it was 104, they said, with the heat index on the field. So uh, difficult conditions, but overall, really happy and could be prouder to take the three points yesterday. Obviously, the circumstances are completely out of everybody's element. What was the atmosphere like there playing in, in that situation? No fans. Obviously, we see what we do on TV from a tr- production standpoint from a coach and your players. What was it like for you to experience that? Yeah, I have to say it was it was not dissimilar to, uh, you know, 
when we showed up here in, in the bubble, um, there is an eerie feeling when there, you know, there's no, usually you think Disney world and you think, uh, lots of, lots of kids running around having a good time and, and, and parents in, in the lobbies. Um, but that wasn't the case, you know, it was, it was, it was kind of quiet, you know, obviously we missed our fans, which are, uh, so passionate and so supportive of us and, and kind of the, the lifeblood of our, our team. So it was difficult to not have them there, uh, cheering us on. Uh, but again, a unique experience for everybody, but, Again, once once the opening whistle blows, these guys are professionals. Uh, it, it looked like a, a really, you know, high high level, you know, intense competitive soccer game. Uh, so again, I think it was a, uh, you know, produced well by by ESPN, and and that was, uh, you know, again once the opening whistle blew, it, it was just the the game that we all love, and, and I've missed uh, a great deal during this uh, pandemic. So does the game feel normal at the point where the first whistle blows or does is it when something happens like Bedoya scores the first goal or Andre Blake makes a great save? At what point do you see the players kind of their shoulders start to drooping, just kind of the sigh of relief that they're playing and they're safe? I think I think once that, that opening whistle blew, obviously there were some, some ceremonies uh, before the game that I think were you know more important even than the three points that we won yesterday and something that I was very proud of our team for. But you know, again, once I, I think I think it actually, you know, there was nerves on both sides. You could feel it at the beginning, but actually, once the once the first foul happens and the first physical action happens, and the referee has to get involved and the whistle blows, you kind of go, okay, uh, this is real again. You know, it was a long layoff, but um, yes, the surroundings are different. Uh, yes, uh, you know, it, it's not in a in a packed you know stadium with twenty five thousand people cheering us on. Um, but it was still uh, just as important. Uh, the guys put just as much into the game, and again, I think we made the, the fans proud uh, taking the three points from New York City, uh, a big, a very talented team in our league. You talk about before the game what went on. Uh, obviously, the, the players all wore Black Lives Matter shirts. They took their shirts off to reveal that it wasn't their own names on the back of their jerseys. It was the name of um, black people who had been killed by police on their jerseys uh, with the statement, one name too many. Can you talk about the process of that coming about? Because from afterwards with some of your comments, it didn't seem like people really knew that was going to happen before the game. Yeah, look, it was something that was, was kept quiet. Uh, it was something that uh, there was a lot of, of work and discussion that went into, actually a, a lot of education as well. So it wasn't just something we planned spur of the moment and caught people off guard. Um, we did keep it quiet to ourselves because um, we knew that it was a big action. And, and look, I think uh, at this time uh, in our country, uh, it was more important to to do something by showing action to try to influence change. Um, our, our, our black players on our team uh, really did a great job of educating uh, some of our younger players on the team. We have, look, we have 12 different countries represented on our roster, age 16 through, through 35. So uh, there's a huge education piece to the, the system, systemic racism that's gone on in our, in our country over the last 400 years. Um, you know, the players that, that, uh, they had on the back of their jerseys. Um, we educated them on exactly who they were representing, the family, the person that that was lost. Um, so it was a, a powerful statement. I think it's one that's now, you know, look, it's it's taken on not just national news but but world news. Um, and again, in a way, it was our our doing us doing our part to raise awareness for the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, we obviously have some some players on our roster that are very much in, involved with the new um, Black Players for Change group that has been been formed in our league, uh, and Warren Craval, who designed uh, the shirt that we wore yesterday uh, on the sidelines, Ray Gaddis, Mark McKenzie, and, and many others. Look, uh, it was a, a team effort and solidarity to show support uh, as a head coach and as the leader. 
uh, I'll always embrace my players and, and, and do what I feel is, is right to support them. Um, so in, in, in our you know, humble way, uh, that was the way the Philadelphia Union chose to um, you know, show support for the Black Lives Matter movement and, and those that were lost. From the outside looking in, it looks like this is something that sort of brought the team together. These are deeper conversations than are normally had. As a coach, how has that been to work through this process with your players? Obviously, it's an emotional time. How do you approach yeah. it? Look, that's a, that's a great question. And, and, and these are difficult conversations that I think we all need to have, um, you know, sometimes with our children, sometimes with others, sometimes even with people that, that might not be on board. Uh, there's still certainly uh, those that uh, uh, will be against what we did. But um, at the same time, I think the hard conversations need to be had in our country right now. I think, that, like I mentioned, the 400 years of systemic racism that's gone on in our country uh, we need to do more. We need to do better. We need to, to listen. And, and certainly uh, white people in positions of power have to do, do more uh, to open up, to try to push for change uh, and, and try to help out. Because I think we can all agree, um, you know, there's, there's been many more um, that were treated the wrong way. But, uh, you know, George Floyd uh, kind of was the tipping point. Uh, and what happened to him, I don't think anybody... Uh, in the in the world can agree uh, was just and was fair and was equal. So uh, our players again took a big stand. Uh, I think we came together as a team, and I think it makes us stronger uh, both as a team now uh, moving forward in in a competition here down in Florida. We've had a chance to talk to a, a lot of your players in the past about what they've done in the communities, including Mark McKenzie most recently. Uh, as a coach, how proud does it make you to to not only coach good men? Uh, and good soccer players, but but also people that are good citizens. Look, I, I love nothing more than watching watching young players uh, get better and improve and, and reach their maximum potential. Um, but I also recognize that there's certainly things uh, that are more important uh, and, and that are bigger than the game of soccer. And in this instance, um, you know, representing the union, but also doing things in the community uh, to make things better. Uh, our players are incredibly active uh, in social issues. Uh, all around the city of Philadelphia. Uh, and, and that's something that makes me proud as a coach. Uh, you know, they make my job very easy because they are genuinely good people. I think oftentimes now professional athletes get the, the category uh, of being you know, superhuman uh, and not real people, and, and they don't have uh, real voices. And, and you even hear it as, as far as people that say, you know, you know they'll most shut up and play the sport. Uh, I, I don't agree with that. I, I think they have a platform. Uh, because they are very talented at what they do, and, and I think they have to use that platform uh, for good and, and try to change things uh, for the better in this country. So uh, I'm always supportive of that. Uh, obviously, we have intelligent guys uh, who, have, who have thought things through, who are educated on, on all issues and, and topics, and uh, when they speak their mind, uh, they, they do it with, with a humbleness, uh, with, with thought, uh, and with the idea to improve things, uh, not to harm people. Uh, we'll get back onto the field for a second with uh, Nashville SC out now with COVID tests. Uh, they were, you were supposed to play them next. Can you talk to some of yeah. our listeners about what happens next and how that uh, you know that impacts your preparation for what happens yeah. going forward in this tournament? It, it's been difficult. And again, like I, I actually just started the call as, as we were talking. You know, if we've all learned one thing in the last four months, it is to uh, expect the unexpected and, and, and adjust and prepare uh, for things because they can change at any moment. Um, and this is an example. Obviously, we lost Dallas at the beginning of this competition. 
Uh, now it directly affected us with, with losing Nashville, uh, who was removed from the competition. Obviously, you feel horrible for those teams because they put a lot into it, but um, the reality is now they're, they're out, uh, and the league found a solution and found a, a replacement. Uh, I'm not going to lie. The one thing that hurts is it went from being uh, you know, a, a national broadcast game <laughs> Uh, you know, in a, in a great time slot at eight o'clock to now we're, we're at 1030. So we have to adjust uh, our preparation. We have to adjust our preparation for the opponent. Um, you know, Miami will play, we'll play Miami on, on Wednesday or sorry, excuse me, on Tuesday. You see, it got, got me confused now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll play Miami. We'll just say we'll play Miami next. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, it was a team we were already preparing for. Um, and then in the final game, now we get Orlando, um, a team, again, we're familiar with, but, you know, we do pretty intensive scouting uh, on teams, and obviously thought we were pretty well prepared for for um, for Nashville, um, having even studied them over the the quarantine on some Zoom calls with all the players and broken down their film. Um, it shifts now to Orlando, but uh, we have great people that are involved in our scouting and our, our video, so um, we're quickly already uh, preparing for them. But it does throw a wrinkle into things, but. Uh, look, there's no perfect solution for these tournaments. There's no perfect solution for what the NBA will be going through as well. Um, but the teams that have the best mentality uh, and stay the most positive during it and, and adapt to change are the ones that are going to have success on the field. And I think we showed that in our first game. Part of being positive is, <clears throat> excuse me, what you do with your free time too. What are you guys yeah. doing as a team and what are the players doing in their free time when they're not practicing? Yeah, look, I would say in, in the bubble here, um, you know, the mental side of the game, uh, again, really comes up. And it, it's something that I'm glad that they're starting to talk more about in pro sports. Uh, players go through uh, tough things at home, off the field. They go through depression. They go through anxiety. So we've done a, a good job trying to keep them as, as occupied as possible. You know, th- things down to, you know, players lounge, making them feel comfortable. We do have um, you know, wellness officers that are available and doctors to, to talk to um, if they are having issues. Um, so you're trying to make it uh, as normal and as comfortable as possible, um, but while recognizing, uh, you know, they're, look, they're, they're sharing their own, they don't, they don't have roommates for the first time. You know, usually when we travel, the coaches get their own rooms, but the, the players are usually partnered up so they have a, a voice that they can hear and talk to. And like I mentioned, we have guys as young as 16, 17 years old uh, that are alone, uh, and that can be challenging. So again, I, I think sometimes people forget the the mental aspect of things, but keeping them occupied and, and happy and, and positive is, is certainly something that every coach and team is is focused on right now. Uh, and our guys, you know, at least have reported uh, that everybody's uh, feeling good right now uh, and, and, and safe and, and you know, obviously healthy, which is most important. You talk about the the challenges of being alone. We've talked to you about how much of a family man you are. Um, <clears throat> how are you trying to keep your players connected and yourself with the families while you guys are away? Not easy. Uh, but again, we've all learned, uh, I think, to adjust and adapt and, 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 and utilize platforms like Zoom, uh, whatever one you prefer. But the, the simplicity of just hopping on a video call, uh, while it's not the same as seeing uh, a loved one, uh, it can help. It can help through through the tough times. So uh, it's not easy. I'm not going to sit here and, and simplify it and say that you know all our players are going to be perfect. You know, as, as this thing gets into day 20, <laughs> but um, there are little ways you can communicate uh, and, and, and again reach out to loved ones and, and see their smiling faces uh, via the, the video conferencing that we we kind of have now at our 
at our uh, access, and I think everybody's become a, sort of an expert on it at this point uh, and recognize, look, there's there's ways to stay in touch and communicate uh, in a different way. And look, I have to be honest, there's, there's certain aunts and uncles uh, and friends that I maybe did usually connect with once or twice a year uh, that, that I see almost too much of now over Zoom. No, just, just kidding. <laughs> I, think, I think you guys get the point uh, as, yeah. as to what I'm getting well, at. <laughs> what we, we want to know is whether or not you're becoming an expert in TikTok videos. Oh, there no, you go. I'm still clear of that. My kids, uh, it's in, for some reason, one of my daughter's uh, accounts is linked up to my phone. So, good Lord, I see, uh, I'll just say hundreds of, of TikTok videos, and I don't <laughs> quite understand it or get it, but... Uh, they probably, my parents probably didn't understand things I was doing when I was a uh, little, little either like, I guess trading baseball cards or just getting in trouble, throwing rocks and stuff. <laughs> Different well, times. <laughs> Coach, we'll have to ha- hear more about the TikTok videos next time. We wish you the best <laughs> of luck in the tournament. Hope everybody stays safe and healthy and uh, always appreciate the time that you give us and good luck with everything. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate the support. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll still continue to make the Philadelphia Union fans proud, uh, even though we're, we're far away. And keep up the great work, guys. That was actually some of the best questions I've had during this crazy time. So I really appreciate the support. Thank you. Our pleasure. Take care of yourself. Jeff, uh, first of all, it makes you feel good when somebody tells you you ask good questions. But uh, the Union, to me, first of all, they're a fun team to watch. They've slowly <laughs> built up through the years. And you really start to see – the talent that they have. But we were talking about it before Coach came on. We talked about it with him. Um, the social consciousness of this team is unrivaled in, in terms of a lot of other teams. And you can hear where that comes from with the coach. I'm glad that we got into that with him. You know, it's. I think it starts with the top. I think it starts with the coach. And I also think it starts with Bedoya. Um, he, he's a vocal leader. He's a conscious leader. And I think that it, it goes from there and goes down. I mean, even with the younger players. Remember, we talked to... To Mark McIntyre a while back, uh, Mackenzie. I'm sorry about that. Um, a while back, and and it's just interesting to see how they have all kind of worked this into being an athlete. That they do have a platform and that they use it for positive change. Um, I was gonna, and, and it doesn't hurt that <clears throat> this is a good team too. I mean, they're they're fun to watch, and they have a really good goalie in Andre Blake. They have they have some really good players like Casper. Like Ali, they got young players that are on their way up. It, it's you know what you want out of a team, without a doubt. And it, you know we got into the serious side of the conversation. I didn't get to ask Coach. Normally he wears his like suit and tie and and, and jacket and everything. And a t-shirt. Uh, 100, 110 yeah. degree heat. Didn't go with that yesterday. Yeah, well you that, can't. So can, let me ask you. Can you imagine you, wearing a dark suit? What do you think? In that the, heat? What do you think the prime playing spot time is going to be? The 9 a.m.? Is it the 8 p.m. or the 9 a.m.? Because I think 1030 is a little late in terms of the one that you want. 8 is obviously better for a broadcast to be seen by people. Now, are you but talking 1030 p.m. or a.m.? 1030 p.m. is the yeah. last game of the night. They, so they do three games a day, 9 a.m., uh, 8 p.m., and 1030 p.m. to try and get around the heat issues. So I got the impression from the coach that 1030 was not the ideal slot, but I would have thought it would be because these guys are young. So they stay up late anyway. And that's when it's going to be coolest. Probably. I mean, I guess it could be cool at 9am, but at the same time, do they want to get up that early and play? Apparently they were eating breakfast at like 5am to, to be able to, you know, have their schedule to be out on the field for that time. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
these are things I mean, that look, you just I'm, don't I'm, think about. I mean, I they're, they're not the biggest problem, but it, it is kind of, especially how hot it is. Look, I got a four-month-old, so I'm up at 5 a.m. with them. So, like, yeah. I get it. But I'm not going to play a soccer game after that. Well, degree yeah, game. there's there's a difference between you rolling over and 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 playing with them and and going out and playing a soccer game in 100 degree heat. So uh, don't Jeff, even you try it. No, I please. I can barely walk in 100 degree <laughs> heat. But we do have people that play golf in 100 degree heat. And you want to move from soccer to golf a little bit, Jeff? Sure. Although I don't think they've been playing in 100 degree heat yet, but go for it. Not yet, but they'll get there this summer. Don't worry. Uh, we have ESPN senior golf analyst Michael Collins on with us. Michael, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. How's the breastfeeding going at 4 o'clock in the morning? Must be tough. Dude, <laughs> let, let, let me tell you. My, my wife is a saint <clears throat> because... Uh, oh, I was talking about you. <laughs> and so th- the worst part was the other day, um, my three-year-old decided that he would wake up earlier than the four-month-old just to give a little competition of what was oh. going on. So clearly we need sports back so we have some real competition. That's what we got going on in my house. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's funny how that works, man. My two now are 13 and 11, but yeah, I went through the same thing that you went through when the older one was like, oh, well, wait, I can go back to not sleeping through the night, too. Like, this one's not better than me. Let me show you something. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, he, he's like, I'll show you. So that's how that works out. <laughs> I, it, it's, it's definitely been a learning experience. Like, this could fit into you were a comedian at one point in your life. This could definitely be a comedy routine about raising kids, man. I know you've had some of this. 20 before. years, man. Yeah, 20 years and did a lot of stand-up comedy. Actually, one of the first stages I was ever on was at the old comedy club on Second and Chestnut, you know, way, way back in the day. So Catching Rising Stars and was still down on South Street. And so it was like, yeah, man, that's, I cut my teeth up there. I'm born and raised in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I used to tell people I got kicked out by the Amish for having cable TV hooked up in the barn. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, if if you grew up in Lancaster, where do you learn comedy? (laughs) That's not exactly the funny capital of the world. Hey, you know how funny you got to be to make Amish people laugh? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying it helped you Amish work girl. hard. I tried to date an Amish girl. She told me to call her. <laughs> <clears throat> your, your journey is fascinating to me. You were a comedian who loved golf, who uh, was watching Fuzzy Zeller tell Tiger Woods he wouldn't have fried chicken at a dinner, and it became a stand-up routine and you're at golf courses can you tell our listeners how this all happened that you ended up as a comedian then a caddy then a golf analyst because it was amazing to me it all started with stand-up comedy and i was doing stand-up comedy i got my start 91 in lancaster pennsylvania then went to philly and would do open mics in jersey and stuff and then in 94 i moved down to florida and right about a year before i moved a buddy of mine, another comedian, was like, you got to start playing golf. And I used to make fun of golfers. And him, he would watch it on TV. And I like, what, you got narcolepsy or something? You got a sleep disorder? You, you need to watch golf and fall asleep on Saturday? And he was like, nah, man, you got to play golf because it's in everything. And he took me to this little par three pitch and putt course, and I fell in love with the game. And played it when I got down to Florida. And lo and behold, doing stand-up comedy, I was performing one week in Hilton Head the week that the tournament was there. So a kid I had gone to high school with back in Pennsylvania was an assistant pro at one of the courses there. We ended up going to the tournament. I met a bunch of golfers and caddies who came to the show, and I started booking comedy wherever the tour was going to be. 
And then during the daytime, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, caddies would be, hey, you want to carry the bag? And I was like, yeah, because I get to be inside the ropes, not thinking it's 35 pounds and we're going to walk seven miles. <laughs> and then one week a dude just called me up and was like, hey, man, I'm playing like crap. I'm not having fun on the course. My caddy quit. Come caddy for me. And I was like, yeah, why not? And went out there, and we had an absolute blast. There are crazy stories that happened that week. And then other guys were like, hey, when you have a week off from comedy, come caddy. And then that snowballed into USA Network doing a show called PJ Tour Sunday. And I ended up being on that show for five years. And SiriusXM then approaching me and saying, hey, how would you feel about doing play-by-play on your weeks off to the head of ESPN being a closet golf freak? listening to me on on xm radio and then reaching out through twitter and i always tell people i got hired by espn on twitter all because of this ridiculous journey that i've been on and i've been with espn now for seven years it's crazy and i get i get journalism students all the time who send me emails i'm a i'm a junior in college how do i get to i'm like Listen, I never went to college and I failed high school English and I still type with two fingers. So unless you want to be <laughs> so homeless, does Jason. don't don't try and yeah, me like Rick Riley made one of my favorite writers used to make fun of me mercilessly in the media center because he was like, You really do type with two fingers. Yeah, man, shut up. I hate the fact that I made fun of kids in typing class and now you're sitting there looking at something in this direction and just your fingers are just typing away. And I was like, I used to chase you home from school in junior high. Be like, you little punk. What you trying to learn typing for, right? And now ESPN, the first, the first title they gave me was senior golf writer. And I was like, you got to take that off right now. Do not call me a senior golf writer because I failed high school English, never went to college. And these dudes sitting around me got Pulitzers. Like, I can't even spell Pulitzer. <laughs> All right, so I have a question. I got to roll back to the first time that you caddy. Now, I have a son who, yep. who caddies, and he's kind of worked through this whole thing. First time you caddied, did you think to yourself, hey, man, I'm in over my head. I don't know which club to give the guy, or, or were you? did you study so, up before no, you went out there to caddy? What? No. The, man, listen, I caddied for Robert Gomez. He had to go play an old Nike Tour event because he was rehabbing an injury. So we get to the course in Louisiana, and the place is flooded. It's underwater. No practice rounds, no pro-am. They give us a cart and they're like, you can go drive, but you can't hit a shot. So I literally put the bib on Thursday morning and we're on the first tee and this is for real. And I'm like, oh, what the hell? And he comes over to the bag and he takes the driver out and I look at him and I go, yo, we're on a par five. I tell him, hey, don't hit it in the bunker down there, okay? Because I don't know how to rake like a pro, all right? <laughs> and he, Right, like you can laugh now, but he gave me this look, and I was like, wonder why he's looking at me like that. And you know where it hit it, right in the bunker. Comes over, slams the club down, and I go, man, I just told you not to hit it in there, fool. What are you doing? And he was like, you can't say you that, man. You put it in his head. It. Well, that's, and I go, now you tell me what to say? So now we get down to the bunker, and I'm like, what are you going to do? And it's a par five. And he goes, I'm going to hit this three wood in the front greenside bunker and get up and down for birdie. And I'm like, fool, I just told you I can't rake. You're going to hit those two bunkers on the first hole? And I was like, man, if you hit it in that front greenside bunker, I'm going to call immigration and tell them that you ain't got your papers, that you're a Mexican on the run. So see what happens. And he gave me this little smirk and called his shot, hit it right in the front greenside bunker. And then looked at me all smirking. And I put the bag down. It was security. Yo, this dude's illegal. 
And he's like, shut up and start raking, fool. And he's like, he cursed me. And then I realized, oh, my gosh, there's like two other golfers and caddies. And I look over, and the mortified look on their face was, but he said he got up and down for birdie. And that's how it started. And then the next week, guys were like, hey, man, call me when you got a week off from comedy because I think that worked. That is unbelievable. We, we should. We'd be remiss if we didn't talk to you about some of the current golf going on. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the Ryder Cup being postponed. Uh, Jeff and I Thank love God. the Ryder Cup, the President's Cup. Jeff's gone. Jeff, you went to the President's Cup, right? We, we covered the President's Cup yeah. last year. Yeah, it was great. That, that was a blast. Um, your thoughts on them being postponed, and would they have been able to really hold those without crowds? Those seem to be what makes no. those golf tournaments. No, absolutely not. And look, I got good news and bad news. The good news is the President's Cup, it's fun. It's fun. But compared to the Ryder Cup, it's like the difference between watching eighth grade middle school football and the NFL, right? That's the difference in atmosphere between the President's Cup and the Ryder Cup. The Ryder Cup, I have, I have never been to a golf event where the hair on the back of my neck stood up. Other than the first time I walked into Augusta, and it was only because it was the first time I was ever seeing it. Like, I don't get goosebumps standing on the first tee at Augusta, like watching guys tee off. This thing, I have never felt that kind of electricity. I ain't never seen Michael Jordan at a regular tour event other than when he played in the Pro-Am in Charlotte, you know. But this thing, he's at, he, he tries to go to every single Ryder Cup because it means that much. This thing, it is, the flip side is the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup, at the heart of them, they're exhibitions. They're not competitions. They're a way to grow the game and take the game to people who normally wouldn't see it. They have become competitions, especially the Ryder Cup, because we've been getting a behind whooping in them for a while. So that Ryder Cup that was at Valhalla in Kentucky and probably the nine greatest match play holes we've ever seen between Patrick Reed and Rory McIlroy never happens without fans. The two of them never go toe-to-toe like that and start mocking one another and then taking it to a level that no one has seen in golf on that par three, eight hole. Just talking about it gives me goosebumps, but that's well, all well, because the fans. That's all well, now, the well, now we have a guy in Bryson DeChambeau, who's probably going to oh, make yeah. a Ryder cup or two in his future, who, who also sure. likes to talk a little trash, but it seems like he likes to talk it to the media. What exactly is going on with Bryson now that he's got this newfound fame and body? Yeah, well, you know, you know where that may have come from originally. This is a theory that's out there now. The theory you say he don't talk smack to anybody, but if you remember last year at Liberty National, the first event of the playoffs, there was a whole big thing about him and slow play, and Brooks Koepka came out and said. You know, this dude's got a problem with slow play and he needs to just shut his mouth and go out there and do, you know. So anyway, then Bryson goes up onto the driving range and sees Brooks' caddy. Brooks hasn't come out of the locker room. And Bryson tells Brooks' caddy, hey, next time your man got something to say, tell him to say it to my face. Now, this is when Bryson's little. I was going to say, he was a little skinnier back then. A lot skinnier. Brooks, yo. Brooks come out of the locker room and as a caddy, like his caddy, Ricky Elliott, couldn't get to him fast enough. Hey, man, you ain't going to believe this. Here's what Bryson said. Brooks goes straight over to Bryson. You want to quell this? Well, here's what I said. Said it right to his face. 
Now, everybody was like, oh, this, it's going down. This is going to be amazing. Me and Pat Perez have a show on SiriusXM every Tuesday night called Out of Bounds from 8 to 10. We have both Bryson and Brooks on the show right after it happens. Bryson, when I say to him live on the air, hey, man, everybody out there thought the two of y'all might fight. And Bryson goes, I, me fight Brooks? No, he kicked my ass. And without missing a beat, Brooks goes, you got that right. And he was not joking <laughs> when he said that. Right? So there's people out there that think Bryson might be the nerd who just got sand kicked in his face by the jock, Brooks. And so this 40 pounds of muscle, now he's kind of wanting to be the jock. But then he goes and says some things that are a little dumb. And uh, you know what? They're worse than done. Just, he says some stupid things. Talking about, you know, we should have a little privacy when I'm at work. <laughs> I can't even say <laughs> Isn't that, that the whole point of a cameraman? To follow people and get it on camera? They're, they're, on, job. they're on TV. That's why they get paid. I don't quite, I don't understand. Maybe you, you, you use a lot of big words, but you obviously don't know what privacy at work means, right? Because <laughs> people who work in a cubicle. Looking at their computer, be like, oh, I don't even get privacy on my work computer because they can look at that anytime. We talking about stupid privacy. This is ridiculous. So anyway, now, but Brooks looks great with the 40 pounds. His frame can hold the 40 pounds. The proof is in the pudding. Four, four top fives in a row and a win. Four top tens, I should say. Sorry, four top tens and a win. And now he has the week off and he's going to come back next week and – he has become the polarizing golfer. There's no in-between. People love him or hate him. And there's, there's no, ah, eh, Bryson, eh, whatever, I'll take him or leave. Nah, nah. It's like, yeah, the scientist, I love him. Or, yeah, I just want to see him not only lose, but I want to see him act like a baby, a crybaby on the golf course to be even more mad now that there's no fans and the camera's going to be on him. 24-7. So, is, is that what golf Bryson needs right now? Does golf need a, a, yes! a character like him? Well, you know what golf didn't have? Like, so Patrick Reed wasn't – he was comfortable being the bad guy. Like, he was comfortable being the villain. He didn't like it, but he accepted that role, even though Patrick's a pretty good guy. For If you talk to anyone who plays in a pro-am with him or anyone outside of the game of golf who knows him, they're like, no, man, Patrick's a good dude. And I say this because I know him. <laughs> and I'm, I'm someone that I would say he's a friend of mine. Bryson – begrudgingly has become the villain. He does not want to have that role, but he has said and done some things that have been so fuel for the people that have now made him into that role. There's nothing he can do about it. So Bryson is a dude too. Like I like hanging around him. I think he's fun. He's interesting to talk to every week. Instead of a regular courtesy car, he gets a Bentley. So, like, me and him go for rides in these Bentleys that he gets to drive every single week. And we just have a good time talking about nothing to do with golf, all kinds of other stuff. I mean, we talk golf and kinetics and stuff like that, of course. But, like, I don't even like going down the rabbit holes with him because I'm like, dude, there's two things that we're not ever going to do. We're never playing Scrabble because I'm going to look up every single word you try and lay down because I know some of them you're making up. And we ain't never going to talk science together because, again – I don't want to have to have a textbook and be like, hold up, man, that's not how to say that word, bro. <laughs> but I just enjoy being around him. So Bryson is the new polarizing guy. The beauty of this is we're in a time where golf is it. 
I mean, there's a lot of people that won't watch UFC or MMA because they don't like that. And there are plenty of other people that's like NASCAR for real. Like that, you think I'm just gonna put on cars in a circle? Like we can go do donuts in any parking lot at a mall right now because they're pretty much empty. So let's go do Thank it there. <laughs> so golf is like the oh, well, don't get it wrong. Like if you've never been in one of those cars, like that'll change your mind in in a heartbeat. <laughs> if you're going 190 miles an hour straight at a wall. Like, you're going to call this dude an athlete when he pulls that steering wheel left and you're trying to keep your insides in. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's not my idea for, of a good for afternoon. Fans, for sports fans, <laughs> I know, for sports fans, golf is it, man. This is what we got. So it's great now that people have someone not just to root for, but someone to root against. Well, you mentioned for sports fans, you're, you're, you talk about how you're a local guy. You're a diehard Philly sports fan. Uh, Jeff's asking you before we prep for the show about some of your fandom, and uh, I hear you got a tattoo that that talks about yeah. who you're a fan of. I need to hear this yeah, story because Center. Jeff Jeff was, tells was, me what you texted back, and I'm like, oh, we need to ask about that. Okay, so I have been a lifelong Philly sports fan and diehard Eagles fans. I live and die with the Eagles, which it was always, you know, until a couple years ago. Talking smack as an Eagles fan always ended the same. Well, you ain't got no ring, though. Like, where's your trophy? And then we would have to walk away, or that's when we would throw punches, right? <laughs> We're like, yeah, we ain't got no trophy, but I'm looking down at you. Why are you drooling and crying, right? So I made a deal. Kevin Nagandi, who's, who's a Sports Center anchor, when we made it to the Super Bowl that first year, it was like me and Nagandi, I said live on Sports Center, hey, if we win this, we need to go get tattoos. And he goes, I'm in. Okay, cool. This was because we were at the, I was at the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Lo and behold, we win the Super Bowl. One of my buddies who owns a tattoo parlor is like, you got to fly out here and get your tattoo, blah, blah. So as I'm getting ready to get the tattoo, I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to – I don't just want to have the symbol. I don't want to just have the Eagles logo. That would be – I don't know. It's just not me. Don't you know, a month in – I'm doing, I do a podcast called Maddie and the Caddy with Matt Barry, also a sports center anchor. And we're out in Tahoe for the American Century. And who's playing with my friend Sean Payton, who's coach of the Saints, Doug Peterson. So coach comes over and I'm like, hey, would you come on a podcast? And he's like, yeah. And now I'm freaking out. Like, so I tell him, look, man, I'm not going to lie. You made me cry. And right on the spot, I was like, listen, I got to get a tattoo. Would you design it? And he goes, yeah, I got it. Just like that. And now I I just nudge Maddie and I'm like, bro, you're going to have to take the rest of the podcast over because I can't breathe right now. <laughs> Coach is going to design my, my tattoo. So it is up on my Instagram and my Twitter. It has three elements to it. The guy who actually did the tattoo, the artist who did the tattoo, had never seen the Lombardi trophy before because he wasn't into football at all. And when I say this guy matched the Lombardi trophy letter for letter on the inscription. I couldn't believe it. I got the tattoo done on a Sunday, caught a red eye into Philly on a Monday because the tournament was that, that week in Philly at Aronimink. Uh The Eagles send me a message and say, you want to come by the facility? Which again, I'm trying not to cry when I'm walking over there, <laughs> but the trophy wasn't in the case. But then they were like, hey, man, you want to see the trophy? I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> they bring it out, and I, I get to hold the trophy with my brand-new tattoo 
and there are pictures of it up there too. And then Tiger found out about the tattoo and was like, yo, let me see it. And when I lifted up my sleeve, it still had the plastic on it to protect it. And he starts poking it. That's not real. And I, I can't even say on the air what I said to him, well, what I yelled at him and stuff. And he's giggling. And then I'm trying not to kick him in the shins giggling. And so, I mean, it was it was surreal and awesome. And as an Eagles fan, an absolute dream come true. We, I, there's a part of the story that's missing, though. We've had Nagandi on this show, and he hasn't mentioned a tattoo. Did he get one, too? Yeah, you no, no, little punk. He didn't follow here. through? No, and he keeps saying, now, even we're in the middle of a pandemic. Like, this would be the perfect time to get a tattoo, man. You got the time. <laughs> I, like, I think I, that. He, and I will say this, though. For a year, I was everything. He didn't even want me on Sports Center with him because he knew I was merciless, merciless, Look, Tony. About we're not willing to have him. you both back on if you need somebody to moderate this conversation because clearly there's a disagreement. No, because now guys. he's made up his mind that he's getting a tattoo, man. He's getting a tattoo. I actually got to go jump on ESPN, the main radio now with uh, Stan Verrett and Neil Everett, who are also talking about the tattoo stuff with Nagandi as well. So. Yeah, well, no, we'll get it done, and I'll keep you guys informed. Now, you got my number, holler at me. Uh, we definitely will. We thank you so much for the time. Appreciate it all, and, and go get us some good golf coverage and enjoy yourself. Stay healthy. Yeah, man, anytime. And now the golf's back on, man. Call me. Let's chat. We'll call you without golf. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Take care. That, that, that works for me, too. I ain't scared. Come on with it. Thanks, fellas. We'll talk soon. Take, care. Take it easy. Jeff, I could have just kept doing that if he didn't have to go do an ESPN hit. I'm telling you, though, that offer stands, though. If Kevin DeGandhi wants to join us, yeah, we well, are wait, willing to moderate what year that. Was, what year did the Eagles win the Super Bowl? 2017. Come on, Jeff. Oh, no, I, I, I know the answer. <laughs> Come on. The reason I said it is that was three years ago. <clears throat> Apparently, he's had other things to do, I guess. I don't know. you got to get that tat done. If, if that was the deal, Collins, not only, not only did Michael Collins come through, he got the coach, the Super Bowl-winning team, to design it for him. I am so glad you asked Michael before the show about his Philly sports fan <laughs> so we could get into that. Uh, what a, but I, got, what a I gotta tell you though, I mean, this, the stories about Bryson DeChambeau, you know, he is, he is one of the most eclectic characters in all of sports, even before he decided to, to swell up the way that he did. He was this nerdy guy who had all this, he was, he was going to do everything different than any golfer had ever done it. He was going to, all his clubs were going to be the same length with, and for people who don't watch golf. That's not the way it is. He was putting his golf balls in water to see water displacement. He was testing all of this stuff and doing all this science. And he was kind of like the, the the skinny, nerdy guy on the tour. And then all, all of a sudden, this year, he just decided to, to jack himself up. He's like 40 pounds bigger. He's all muscle. You wouldn't – even his face looks completely different. And for some well, reason – I mean, it, when I put on 40 pounds, my face looks different too. It's just not muscle. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and by the way, and you, you watch him swing now. He looks like he's about to come out of his shoes every time, but it's like this this power's now come out of him, but it's a controlled power, and, and it's obviously working because he won a tournament. And, and for those that don't know, you win a tournament, it's over a million bucks. So Yeah, you're, you're doing something right at that point. Um, yeah, but he ne he does need to, to tone it down a little bit. You cannot be badgering cameramen who are following golfers from hole to hole to watch what they're doing and complain because you had a little fit because you didn't hit the ball well. 
it's just not, you know, you, you just need to say to yourself, if you're going to go out there and you're going to play on TV and the benefit of it is you might win a million dollars because of all the advertisers that are paying for you to be on TV, that you're going to have to take the good with the bad. And by the way, it's not so bad. Don't have a little temper tantrum. It's pretty simple. Well, that is pretty easy. Jeff, we've got 10 minutes left. I'm going to let you pick where we go next because there is so much going on in the sports world that we can talk about. Where do you want to head? I know where you want to go. You want to go Phillies. You want to go baseball. So so let's let's just go down the baseball rabbit hole. Oh, okay. We can do that. Uh, so we talked you want earlier. To start this with week. the latest guy that's decided he's not coming, uh, uh, which Buster is Buster Posey. Posey. Yeah, has, who's decided because uh, of his child, and newborn twins. Um, I'm sure that there will be plenty of people who will beat him up for that decision. Uh, good on him, man. You be do do your family. Yeah, I mean, look, we, <laughs> we discussed this during our, our, our midweek OTA, so I don't, I don't know if you want to go into it too much. I, I just don't understand. I just can't. I've talked to enough people this week and in the past to not understand still why you think that people should risk their lives if they don't have to. We will have plenty more weeks to talk about it because Zach Wheeler will opt out at some point for his child to be born around the start of the season. And so well, it will well, be all over yeah, the media just, here. Just, so, just so everybody knows, that's your your opinion, which I share. So, uh, yes, it is my opinion. Zach Wheeler has not said that yet. No, not at all. But he's clearly thinking about the implications, as are a lot of these players. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit. Some of these leagues seem to be having some testing problems in terms of delays, responses. Adam Hazley didn't get a test back that was taken. And so he was held out. Are these leagues going to be able to, to get this together that they can turn well, they this better, around? They better because what you can't have is guys not testing positive and rumors coming out that they are because of poor testing habits. So, I mean, look, everybody thought that um, Aaron Nola had tested positive when in fact he hadn't, he had just been exposed to somebody that did. He got tested and he said that he wasn't tested positive. So, they need to be able to do this efficiently because if they don't do it efficiently, it's going to lead to even more bad feelings, which is the last thing that they need between players and owners. Hey, and by the way, before I know you want to get to JT Real Muto, and we will. I saw a quote from Joe Girardi today, and I wanted to get your opinion on it. Okay, so he was asked about the designated hitter, and here was his response. I feel good about it. I think our team is built pretty good for a DH and that we have Jay Bruce that can DH from the left side. Sometimes you might play him in left and DH Andrew McCutcheon. Some days you might play somebody else in right and DH Bryce Harper or DH JT Relamuto to get him off his feet. Anybody missing from that dissertation? Paging Alec Bohm. Alec Bohm, are you here? So do you, I don't know about you. I read something into that. I'm not telling you he's not going to be on the team, but everybody who thinks they're going to get excited that Alec Bohm's coming in and he's going to be the designated hitter. I don't think so quickly. I don't From think the simulation games you can do that. And the practicing, Gene Segura has been at third. Didi Gregorius has been at shortstop. Um, you know, Kingry will come back and play. Uh, it does not seem like this team is moving in the direction of Alec Bohm being either an everyday player or a regular this DH this, this season. This season, yeah. I think um, in a shortened season, it's hard to have a rookie come up and play. And and it's not like Alec has been in, in the minor leagues that long. Yes, he's a little older because he was a college player, but he's moved through the system pretty quickly, and he didn't have the chance to play that much AAA. So no. I, I can see him making the roster because there is no AAA to go to, 
and at least he'll be getting reps, even if it's in practice. But I don't see him, if people think he's the savior for the season, he's not. One of the saviors was supposed to be JT Relamuta, who before we went on air, we, we probably had a louder discussion than we will have while we're on the air because some people at the station and you believe that the Phillies should sign him no matter what. Okay. No matter what in this scenario, you threw out some crazy number and I clearly just wasn't listening and said, okay. <laughs> I, I don't believe there is any number out there that they should sign him. But the time for getting cold feet on extending JT Real Muto was before you made this trade. You gave what you may think you may not think that Sixto ends up being what he was, but in terms of the way this franchise valued that player, he was their top prospect, and they gave him away for a guy that they may let walk. Well, and to me, that's not where you should be. So I'm not saying they should pay anything for him. Mm-hmm. I'm saying it would probably not be the right move to let him walk because I don't think that Andrew Knapp and some of the guys in the system are going to be able to fill that role. All right. Well, you've made all my arguments and counter arguments for me because we welcome. had this discussion beforehand. This is, I'm not going to give you a heads up from that. One. Okay. <laughs> That's the way I'm going to leave it. Other than to say to you that as far as J.P. Leo Muto goes, I don't think the Phillies got cold feet. I think that we are in uh, uncharted waters and they're taking their time. So why don't we want the four minutes we have left? I don't even know how to say this. I don't want to say, oh, do you want to discuss Hitler? But I don't know how to put else to put it because Deshaun Jackson quoted Hitler. Look, anytime. Well, incorrectly you, quoted Hitler. Anytime you have to close a statement with I don't support Hitler or I don't like Hitler or Hitler's a bad person. Whatever you said before that was probably not the appropriate thing to say. This has been a very long week of. Quotes, we've talked about this on the OTA that we did, so I don't want to get all into the backstory of it. Uh, Deshaun Jackson put up some things on his social media, attributing them to Hitler, praising them. They were clearly anti-Semitic. Some players have responded to him. Stephen Jackson responded saying he agreed, then said he was misunderstood. Uh, Jeffrey Laurie is apparently making a documentary about Hitler at the same time well, as this, company, yeah. his production company is Julian Edelman has talked to Deshaun Jackson and offered to take him to the Holocaust Museum and go to the African-American Museum, which frankly is what we need more of is right. people understanding. Well, that's what we dis- that's what we discussed on the OTA was was people wanted him cut right away. And people were kind of surprised that I didn't say he should be cut right away. I think that people need to evolve. And you have to give people a chance to evolve. And much like what happened with Drew Brees and Malcolm Jenkins and Malcolm Jenkins calling him out and then a discussion ensuing so that people could understand each other. Julian Edelman has reached out and is having a discussion with Deshaun Jackson and Deshaun Jackson, to his credit, I still wouldn't encourage anybody to wear his jersey, but to his credit, just talk to some Jewish organizations. And he's now talking to Julian Edelman, who, if people don't know, he's Jewish. Uh, but to me, the guy who kind of encapsulated it, this guy I never heard of before, which is this, is a, a Steelers offensive lineman named Zach Banner, who, who came out and explained uh, that even though he is not part of the Jewish community per se, that he was able to educate himself and understands why we all need to be empathetic to each other. Uh, he was in Pittsburgh when the, when the Tree of Life synagogue massacre happened, and and 
he said that he went out of his way to educate himself on things. And he understands that the best way to do things is to raise all boats and to hold each other up instead of putting one group down in order to raise one group up. And I think that we need more of the Zach Banners in this world. And I think there are. I think the athletes are showing. Has, as the week gone on, has the conversation evolved in a positive way with what's going on? Are we are we starting to get to a, a point of this? I mean, if other I listen than to, Steven Jackson, yeah. If I if I listen to a bunch of other shows, there's people arguing should should Riley Cooper this that, uh, you know. What about it never helps? Yeah, bringing up Riley Cooper now does not help the situation. He was an idiot. What, any, I mean, what else do you need to know? Any ism doesn't help. Uh, Jeff, we'll leave it there because we have a minute left and I, I want to do my stupid rule of the week, which is a very hard transition Ooh, from what it. we did. So the NFL is going to let these guys play against each other for 60 minutes and literally beat the snot out of each other and all over each other. Right. Mm-hmm. But they're going to bar a jersey swap after the game. Come on, man. Don't we have a laundry machine at this point? What is going on here? Their snot is going on each other when they tackle each other. Did not anybody ever listen to John Madden talk about slobber knockers? Boom! I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, come on. This is the dumbest. It, it's it's almost as bad as when the NBA said that after they play basketball games where they're picking and rolling and hitting each other and running into each other, that somehow that they can't play dub, play doubles ping pong. Like, there needs to be common sense to these rules. That rule, the jersey swap, makes sense in society if you and I are going to do it. It doesn't if make sense. If we're keeping six feet social distance, it makes sense. If we're matching up and falling on each other and breathing on each other, it's ridiculous. Any final thoughts, Jeff? I'm thinking maybe a comedian. Maybe Michael Collins is writing the rules just to give us, like, stuff to talk about. We'll get him back on to talk about it. Thanks so much for joining this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week.